and welcome to The Readings Podcast, a fortnightly celebration of books. In today's episode, you'll hear Amelia Lush from the Sydney Writers' Festival talk to Frances Chapman about Frances's Ampersand Award-winning YA debut, Stars Like Us. A quick reminder, as this is a recording of an event held live via the internet, there has been some impact on the sound quality of the episode. To introduce Amelia, here's the host of the event, Reading's own Chris Gordon. Tonight, it is my pleasure and indeed one of my lifetime ambitions to introduce you to someone quite extraordinary, to Amelia Lush. She is the head of the Children's and YA Programming for the Sydney Writers' Festival. She is a bookseller and someone who plays a vital leadership role in the cultural and literary landscape of Australia and beyond. Let's make her very, very welcome. (laughs) Amelia, over to you, my friend. Hello. Hello, everyone, and thank you all for zooming in from your homes and offices tonight. Um, I would just also like to take a moment to acknowledge that both Francis and I are zooming in from Gadigal uh, land here on um, the Eora Nation. Uh, We are also on unceded sovereign land and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land, um, home of the oldest continuing cultures in the world. Now I want to introduce the wonderful, the talented, the remarkable Francis Chapman. Um, I'm so thrilled to be here launching this book. Francis, welcome. Thank you. It's amazing to be here. How are you feeling? I am feeling, um, I'm really excited. Like it's, it's been a weird couple of weeks, like, because this is just not how I imagined launching my book would be. And so I it's sort of like it's happened, but it, I haven't it really, it hasn't really like sunk in yet. And I, I keep getting texts from friends who are seeing it in like a bookshop and they're like, look, it's in a bookshop. And I'm like, yes, it's in bookshops. Um, and I have been into the bookshop to look at the book on the shelf. Um, but I guess because I haven't had like a, like a launch party, I feel it's it's pretty weird. Um, I guess yeah. it wouldn't surprise me that that's the case. I mean, we, you know, authors work kind of solo and like isolated for so long on a on this project that can sometimes be years in the making. And then all of a sudden you're meant to then share it with the world. Yeah. But you've kind of continued to sort of remain isolated for that period, haven't you? Yeah. So you and haven't gotten to be in a room with people. Yeah, it's just wild as well to think that like people like are reading it who don't know me. <laughs> I can't caveat anything, and they like they're just gonna have a, a feeling about it, and I just have to let them have a feeling, and that's a kind of weird feeling for me because I, you know, I'm very, I, you know, I do write like alone, but I also have some amazing writer friends, and my wonderful writers group are here tonight as well, and um, in in you know spirit and um i so usually you know you kind of can change change it and you kind of give it over and people read it and they go i wasn't sure that line worked or whatever and you go okay i'll go and fix that and now i feel like it's it's finished it's out there i can't do anything about it i can't take it back but it's also a very liberating feeling because it's like yeah it's finished it's out it's a real book (laughs) so yeah it's crazy i've got a lot of feelings i need to work through. yeah (laughs) look i think you know it's a time of great big feelings that we have to work through as well so i don't think you're alone at the moment yeah um what did your writing life look like i mean you've just talked about your writers group um what kind of led you up to applying for the ampersand project which is um which you won 
which is, you know, was kind of the, the start of this particular novel's publishing journey, I assume. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about what got you there, what got you to apply, why you applied. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess I, like, I've always wanted to be a writer. As a child, I used to write stories and I've never really stopped. Um, had a very overactive imagination as a child. And, um, and, yeah, and then I guess I always imagined that this was the, you know, the job that I really wanted to do. And then I started writing probably about 10 years ago. I started pursuing it a bit more seriously and trying to write something that would get published. That was my goal was publication, I guess. So I wrote this very personal, like, um, very literary, very character-driven kind of um, novel with teenagers as the protagonists, but I wouldn't necessarily say it was a YA novel. It was yeah. quite, you know, sort of, um, it was sort of in a weird place between being a YA novel and being for adults. It was, yeah, yeah. I was still, you know, I was in my early 20s. I wasn't really that far away from being a teenager myself. So it was, a, I'm not surprised that that didn't really find an audience. Um, and, but after I'd done that, it was very like, it was about sort of grief and loss and um, there was a car accident, you know, it was a very sad book. And after I finished that book, I really wanted to write something fun. <laughs> so I thought I'd, I'd been to a, a, um, a speech by Linda Tate, who's an agent, and she said that what you need to do, you know, what you should do, her advice was to go and find your audience. And I thought, well, my audience, like uh, teenagers and um where are they? They're going to be on social media. They're going to be on Wattpad. So I started writing this book on Wattpad, which was really just about getting readers and trying to work out what, what worked and what was interesting to, you know, teenagers. And, and, um, and that was where the, the germ of the idea for it sort of came from. So it's been through many, many iterations since then. And it was a very long process. Like it probably took two and a half years before I was ready to enter it in the Ampersand Prize. Yeah. Um, and then from winning the prize again, it went through a couple of redrafts as well. So it's it's been um, a bit of a journey. Yeah. Um, how's it been hearing other people frame your work? Like I had a little go at trying to write a blurb myself for your book. Um, you know, because I think as a bookseller, we used to do that all the time. We would reframe works of fiction and nonfiction for, you know, for new customers all the time. Um, and this is what I came up with. I said... Uh, Stars Like Us is a charming, funny, note-perfect, queer YA that will make you laugh, cringe, and probably at times just want to have a serious little chat with some of the characters about the decisions that they are making. Um, from London to Australia to Ibiza and back, our rock star heroine, Liliana, has all her dreams come true, only to discover that perhaps fame and fortune isn't all it's cracked up to be. Wow, that's great. How do you, like, how does it, what does it feel like when you kind of hear other people like summarise something that has just been your life for a while? Yeah, it's interesting, like, um, hearing other people's reaction to, I mean, like, I've had a couple, you know, reviews coming in and they're, you know, generally very positive, but the things that people fixate on, I'm kind of, mm -hmm. I'm always a bit surprised by. And, yeah. I, and I had one person who said that one of the characters, the bass player in the band, mm -hmm. um, he doesn't do anything. And I'm like, yeah, he's a bass player. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of the joke. point. Like, it's, it's a bit of a, a running joke. Yeah, but I um, but then it's also, you know, like you don't want to get defensive because everything else in that review is really positive. And I'm like, but I just like this one little thing. I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I did that wrong. Maybe it wasn't working that well. But it's funny hearing like what people focus on. I guess as like the um, 
I don't know the like I, I think what you just said was like that's how I see it too like mm. that's kind of I guess if I was going to sell it it would be in a similar way I always say it's like walk the line if the you know if Johnny Cash was female and queer and into Bowie <laughs> <laughs> well, okay that's a perfect segue for me because I want to talk a bit about Bowie like Bowie's kind of very essence is in the book at all times, right? Like the the cover, which we can see here, you know, has that wonderful uh, lightning bolt on it. The band is named after or is inspired by Bowie being called Lady Stardust. You know, it has a queer heart through it, you know, just like Bowie. So what was it about Bowie that made you kind of pull him into your novel? Look, everything, like I'm... I, I mean, Bowie's been a huge part of my life and my journey. Um, as a, well, as a person, <laughs> like, in, in, you know, he's so, um, he's like delicate and vulnerable, but so strong and he's androgynous, but not in a way that feels forced or inauthentic. Um, and he's a chameleon, but each of his various personalities was, was who he was. And I feel that he, I don't know, you know, I didn't know him. Um, but I feel that he was, you know, had a, a kind heart and a, like a, um, and I think was a was was a, a totem for the misfits yeah. in a lot of ways at the time and probably continues to be. I feel like Bowie's become a bit of a cliche now. Like everybody's into Bowie, and it's like, yeah, well, because he's amazing. Look, sometimes but, cliches um, are cliches for a reason. You know, sometimes they're universally loved because they're universally accessible. You know, someone. Yeah. And everyone can see something of themselves in Bowie, I think. Well, and he's obviously really stood the test of time, you know, mm. and be like a lot of um, bands now who are who've tried to sort of ape what he did in terms of um, reinventing themselves with every album. And like, you know, Lady Gaga's the obvious candidate, but there's, I mean, mm. there's a lot. And he's, so I think he's, um, is obviously still very relevant. And I, I it was a very sad day when he, when he died. And that, yeah. was, that was at the beginning of my process of writing the book. So I guess yeah. it was very fresh in my mind at that point. But um, the, as far as how it influences the book, I feel like I wanted to, I wanted the songs referenced in the book to be classic yeah. um, ones that a lot of people would know rather than anything that could be seen as a bit faddish. And actually I've noticed that the things that I did include in various drafts when before I made that decision they haven't you know they they are faddish like they don't feel mm. like they'd be relevant to today's teenagers and so I wanted I made a deliberate choice to have the band into some classic musicians so that you know if someone wants to google these songs they can find an acoustic version of it and and may hopefully fall in love with some of that music if they haven't heard it before yeah. um and I guess you I could you could say I ran the risk of you know seeming like a um, an old dude who didn't understand what teenagers were into, but um, I did. I did want it to be something that felt like it, it wasn't um, of a particular time and place, like that it had, yeah. you know. Look, yeah. I think there is definitely a universality, like to punk and rock, and those particularly those kind of leading beacons of those movements. And I think that young, particularly young guitar nerds, will always find them. You know, I, I don't think that changes. Um, like music is is such a is is at the very core of this novel. You know, the the main character Liliana 
you know, heads over from Australia to this prestigious music academy where she's meant to spend two months, um, you know, with a bunch of very extraordinarily talented young people who are also musicians and sort of gets pulled to the side with this rock band, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and, and kind of through a sequence of, of luck and talent and happenstance, fame hits very quickly. Yeah. Um, now, this book kind of seems at first that it's going to be about music and then it sort of pulls much more into what the cost of achieving your dreams are, who do you leave by the wayside, public perception versus private. What is it about fame in particular that kind of interests you? Yeah, I've been, I've been obsessed with celebrity culture since I was a kid. Like I think, and I think it's the, I think it's this, for me, it's like this, there's sort of this um, tension between, you know, it, as a kid, you're told everybody wants this. Everyone wants to be famous. rich and famous. That's the thing everybody wants. And, but I, we were talking earlier, I'm a total introvert. I really don't like everybody looking at me. I'm not, you know, um, an like outrageous personality. And so the idea of being fam- famous to me actually makes me feel quite like mildly panicked. <laughs> and so I started thinking about like the, um, you know, that, that sort of, that, that dream that you kind of sold and then what that would actually be like, the lived reality of it. As I was writing the book, um, or just before, I think Justin Bieber visited Sydney and he went to a chicken shop. Um, and this anecdote does become relevant. I promise. Um, he went to a chicken shop and there was this photo in the daily, um, you know, newspaper and, it was of him sitting on the sidewalk eating chicken and there was this queue of like teenage girls next to him being sort of held back by bouncers. And I was just fast. I was amazed by this photo because he's just eating chicken. Like he's just ignoring, this is his life. You know, he's like um, an exhibit in a zoo and there's always people watching him eat chicken. Like he's just like, yeah, they're there. I'm eating chicken. He never breaks that fourth wall of, of no. He doesn't he's get got his life and then everything else. Them at all. Like he's no. just, I mean, not in this photo, maybe he did in, in the moment, but then there's these girls. I was really interested in them because they're all dressed up. You know, they've kind of gone, we're going to go see Justin Bieber. What do I want to be wearing when I go and see Justin Bieber? You know, and they're there. One of them's got a puppy and you know, she's sort of come. To- we might have just lost Francis for a moment. So I'm hoping that, Oh, there we are. What do we go? Okay, I think we've got you back. Hi. Sorry. Yeah, hi. All good. No, no problem. I was mid-flow there. Um, yeah, so just be right. And he's eating this. And these, these um, teenage girls are like they're there. And they just look totally, like, um, confused and lost and petrified. And actually they don't want him to acknowledge them because then they would have to, you know, what teenagers like. They don't want to, you know, have to no. um, engage like because it would be very confronting what would you say to Justin Bieber, you know? And so I was really st- struck by this photo and I thought that's an interesting place to start. Like what would that actually be like for a teenager, someone who is, you know, not a particularly um, outgoing person necessarily, but someone who really loves music and is passionate about it to um, become suddenly famous overnight. Mm. And, um, yeah. and yeah, and that was where this sort of central idea came from, I guess. And all of these quite flawed characters, because, you know, let, tell us a little bit about the four members of the band. Because, you know, in there, there's some great characters outside of the band, but 
the dynamic between these four is kind of the freight train that moves its way through the book. Yeah, so um, so Liliana is the main character. She's um, Australian and um, has come to the Henley on Thames Music Academy, which is not a real place. Henley on Thames is a real place. It's actually where I was born and spent many of my <laughs> formative years. Um, but the music academy is is fictional, um, and she's there on exchange student as an exchange student, and she meets um, Carter Tanqueray, who is the band's um, erstwhile guitarist. He's quite um, charismatic and gorgeous and um, irreverent um, and obviously very attractive for these qualities, mm -hmm. but he, um, he's not always kind. Um, he can be a bit callous. And, um, and so that's, uh, that's Carter. Then Richie is the bass player and he's um, very entitled and a bit lazy, to be honest, like he's used to everything kind of going his way. He's the bass um, player. He's the bass player. <laughs> He's there for the ride. Um, thinks Sid Vicious, but not as cool. Um, and then um, uh, the drummer is Sam, and Sam is uh, slightly older than the others, so he's he's still at school, but he's, he's in his final year. Um, and music is one of many things that Sam is passionate about. Um, and he he's a bit more grounded. He's got his you know his head screwed on straight, and he's and he's very kind. Um, and so those are the guys who kind of make up the band. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, Sam, I, I loved, I thought Sam felt like to me as, as a, as a, you know, mid thirties adult reading this YA novel as the kind of moral compass as the, the, the sensible one in a fairly chaotic novel of teenagers acting exactly how you would imagine if fame and fortune is suddenly in, you know, the palm of their hands. Um, was Sam like was was Sam kind of serving a purpose for you as as a as an author like kind of offering that sort of voice of reason throughout this otherwise quite crazy process? Yeah, I um I think I was faced with the challenge as I think probably most writers are because you want your characters to go through some trials and tribulations. Um, as a result, and then come out of the end of the novel, you know, grown as a person and, and all of those things. Um, they are not always their best selves. <laughs> and that is a generous uh, summary. <laughs> and so uh, Liliana goes through phases where she's um, really, you know, not, not always being kind to the people around her. And I've, I thought if I had could give her a, a friend who we as a, the audience really we're rooting for and who we really love um, and who's who we often agree with, I think, but who really loves her. I thought it might make her a little more sympathetic in those moments. Like I was thinking a lot about Sherlock Holmes and how, you know, he's such an, particularly the Benedict Cumberbatch version and yeah. he's such an awful prat a lot of the time, but he's got Watson and Watson loves him and we like Watson. So we kind of think we sort of, sometimes we see him through Watson's eyes and we go, yeah. Oh, actually he's not a bad guy. Um, he's just a bit socially awkward or whatever. So I thought that that might be a way to kind of give Liliana some, um, well, so give the reader some empathy for her um, in those moments when she's like, she's sometimes really pulling people down the rabbit hole with her. Yeah. I mean, I think Sam, I think, as well, like I wanted there to be someone in this world who didn't get taken in by the whole fame. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there's Carter is really in it for all he can get, you know, groupies yeah. and money. And 
Um, and Sam, you'd think, would want that. He comes from slightly impoverished background and, you know, he's an immigrant family and, and stuff and he's not... Um, you think that maybe money might be a driving force for him, but it really isn't. And he just wants to make really good music. And so that purity of soul, I think, was something that I really wanted at least one character to have on The Crazy Journey. I think a lot of readers would probably also like to think that they would react to fame with the moral, you know, fortitude and integrity of Sam. But realistically, we're more likely to probably end up being like Liliana. Um, Even as like, you know, as a teenager, especially like it's, she's um, trusting and she's trying to kind of do the right thing by these adults who are asking her to do things. Like, I feel like she's still a quite a sympathetic character. I oh, hope definitely. I yeah, no, she really is. Cause I think that the, the, the mistakes that she makes and the difficulty that she has with honesty, you know, where she knows that she should say things or be upfront about things and, and struggles with it um, yeah. is such a human and, and I, you know, and, it's a, it's a response we've all had. Like we've all avoided hard conversations and particularly when you're 16 and in the centre of this whirlwind, yeah. um, you know, and, and also, you know, one of the things that I wondered about is at the very on, you know, start of the book, you, you pull her away from her entire support network. You take her from Australia where her father is and her best friend and her girlfriend and you, you, you put her in England. Yeah. Like on the other side of the world. And was that kind of intentional so that she would have to navigate this quite difficult world on her own? Absolutely. I really wanted her to be um, a fish out of water in the beginning mm. of the book, like to, you know, and to feel very wrong footed. I, when I was a teenager, I lived in Germany for a year and I, that was really rough on me. Uh, I, I can't, I'm now a parent and I cannot mm. imagine sending my kid at 15 to live with a family I'd never met. I was thinking about this. Yeah. That is bananas. But, um, but I did it. And I, it was, you know, formative and wonderful and, you know, so on. But it, um, it you know, it was hard. And um, especially in those days when, you know, you didn't have video phone calls or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the, those old days it's so long ago you know but <laughs> but I um but yeah so I, I really wanted and I, I drew on that memory I think for that mm. that sequence with Liliana where she was you know really feeling very desperately sad and, and trying to put on a brave face and pretend that this thing that she'd always wanted was was really going really well for everybody mm. when actually if she'd just been honest with her friends and said you know she would probably have um not struggled quite so much yeah. if she would share that um yeah so look I think you did that really well I think that you know I there wasn't a point in which I didn't empathize with her you know I didn't care about what was going to happen I think there were definitely moments where I was like you know (laughs) come on um you know and and the thing I want to make sure we do talk about because you know we've got a couple of great questions from uh the people listening which I'm going to make sure we we touch on but I want to talk about you know the queerness in this novel and you know, Liliana has, you know, starts a novel in a committed relationship with her girlfriend, Ellie, back in Australia. And over the course of the novel, you know, two other people come into her life who, you know, pull her attention away alongside her fame, shall we say. And, you know, without giving up, you know, too much away from this story, I thought it was wonderful to see, you know, what is a queer story, love story, what is a, you know, bisexual love story or, or whatever, you know, name you want to give it because in, in the novel Liliana never really names her identity. She just, you know, goes about loving and lusting after various people. Um, the fact that, you know, 
there was not that internal conflict. There was not any self-recrimination around her identity. I mean, you know, the people that she was interested in certainly caused chaos, but not the essence of who she was. Mm. Um, can you talk about, you know, was that an intentional thing? What did it mean to you to write that story? Yeah, it was really intentional. Um, I think I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I, th- I, I really didn't want that to be like... I didn't want to write a coming out story, I yeah. think. And I, I like, I, maybe I will write that one day, but this isn't that book. And so I, I wanted to write, I, th- I thought if I'm going to have this, I'm going to, ha- you know, like there was, there were times when I considered you know, changing the dynamics of it and making her straight, or at least not, you know, addressing her sexuality in a particular, like particularly strong way. And then I, when I went back and went, okay, no, we are, we're doing this. Um, I thought, well, I, you know, how are we going to do Like, how am I going to do this? I did have some conversations where she sort of explained, she's kind of schooled people in, you know, sexual erasure and like all this stuff. And, and I was like, and then, you know, I kind of took all that out because I felt like this isn't that book actually, this Mm. isn't, uh, that's not really what it's about. I want, and I felt I wanted when I, you know, I wanted to write the book that my teenage self would have loved. And I, you know, a character who's so um, accepted by others and also by herself in terms of her own sexuality was something that I think, I think, I hope that, you know, um, that teenagers will, will find that resonates with them. Mm. Um, I certainly as a teenager would have really welcomed it. Like, well, any representation at all (laughs) would have been nice, but, um, but certainly, you know, feeling that there was um, a character who was so, you know, um, with her sexuality not actually even questioned was something that I I did want to do. And I now, I think it's interesting because I've just been, I've just read Holden Shepard's book, Invisible Boy, mm-hmm. which I just, it blew me away. It's so amazing. And I, that made me think, oh, maybe I, maybe I could write that book, you know, the, like the small town and, the, you know, what it's like to grow up in that environment. Mm-hmm. But that this is just not that no. book, no. <laughs> but I think that what, well, I think what you did capture and I think that what a lot of young people will, uh, really identify with is the fact that like realistically coming out is not a single act. It is continual. You are always coming out. You are coming out to your A&R people. If you're going to be a rock star, you are defining your attraction to the person that you're interested in. Like there is never a moment when you're not sort of on the way to the next coming out. Yeah. You know? And and despite the fact that there was no conflict in this book around um, Liliana's identity, that didn't mean that her queerness wasn't exploited by the record company. It didn't mean that, you know, assumptions were made about her identity. It didn't mean that she still didn't have to keep defining herself in terms that the people around her would understand. And then I think for me, that was like a very realistic take on the fact that, you know, it's never a static thing and it's never a single conversation. Absolutely. And it's so hard to know how to do that as well, because I was thinking like, like, so in my earlier versions, I had her kind of correcting people Mm. sometimes, but often you don't correct people. You just kind of go, oh, all right. Like, you know, oh, yeah, uh, like roll your eyes inwardly. Yeah. You don't necessarily kind of have that conversation every, because it's, tire, it's tiring, you know. Uh, yeah, you can't so, do it every time and it's, it. you, you choose, you, you pick your battles. You pick your battles. And so yeah. I had, you know, I kind of went through it and kind of and took out some of those moments because I felt like she, um, she wouldn't, you know, like that actually sometimes, you know, you just kind of go, oh, 
oh, well, <laughs> yeah, right, you can think that. And I think that um, it's not relevant, so why would I tell you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I, and you're so, you're so right that it's always, like, because there's also, I think, as a bisexual person, there's also always this kind of question about, um, like, you know, are you bisexual enough? <laughs> yes. Like, you know. And also does, does you know, dating a man invalidate yeah. your bisexuality, which I think that particularly a lot of, you know, female bisexuals who end up in a monogamous relationship with a man, yeah. that part of their identity gets to kind of gets erased and well, doesn't and get it, seen. And it kind of has to, right? Like, yeah. you're not, you know, it's, you don't, can't tell every single person you meet. Like, yeah. Um, I'm bisexually making my dinner. I'm, by the way, so so I think that she she does. You know, she, I wouldn't say she struggles with that, but I think that that's that is that does come mm. up for her. Um, you know, there's a moment where the record company says, "Oh, if you just told us you were gay, then you know." And she's like, "I'm not gay," but like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but oh, whatever, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah, like, and it's a fine line. Like, it's a hard thing. That's a complicated kind of, it's a kind of world to wade into at the moment because yeah. people have, um, you know, strong opinions on it. And and often you, like, are aware that some readers might read that and think, yeah. I want her to slap back. I want her to correct yeah. the person, you know. So, yeah, it's hard to know where, where to draw the line. I hope that, you know. But I think it's a, the important thing is, is that you're true to whatever the character is, right? Like yeah. I believed all of the times that she did stand up and all the times she did clarify made sense, you yeah. know, from everything else that I'd learned about her. So, you know, I think, you know, kudos to you for doing that um, so artfully because it is, is, isn't really? easy. <laughs> um, I do want to, there's a great question that's come through from uh, Jess who asked you about the use of Wattpad, which I thought I, I wanted to jump in and clarify, but I was like, you were on such, you're talking about something so interesting. But Wattpad is, let me get this right, is an online publishing platform for writers. So it generally it's all original work. There's a lot of fan fiction on there. Yeah. Is that, am, I, am I right about that? that absolutely right. It is, I, I often describe it as YouTube for writers. Yeah. Um, I went on there because I thought I want to see what teenagers are reading. And then I thought I can write something better than this, and so I started yeah. writing writing stuff. A lot of the writers are teens, but there's also yeah. a lot of adults on there. It's obviously all self-published. A lot of it is not um, draft redrafted. Yeah, some of it's barely legible. Like obviously, there's a variety of of um, skill. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing that I found really valuable with it was that I would I published every day. Like mm -hmm. I write, write a chapter, it's just like a thousand words or something every day. Um, and there were people going, I want to read more. What happens next? You know, and people were commenting and they were saying, oh, I love this bit. And, you know, oh, what's she going to say? And so it really kind of motivate, motivated me to keep going mm. the story. Um, yeah. I got a real sense of kind of what they were what they were connecting with and what they didn't like so much and that particular readership, which is obviously quite a niche audience. Mm -hmm. um, Yes, so that I wasn't. It wasn't fan fiction. Just no, no, but there, that also no, no, but that also exists <laughs> on Wattpad. Because I know that there's. I've seen some wonderful TikToks lately where some of the young TikTokers are kind of highlighting their favourite um, Harry Styles fan fiction that's on Wattpad. You know, and which is a big part of it. And uh, but there's a lot of original original works on there. Yes, um, yeah, and I yeah. think I don't think I'm the first person who has started it out. You know, started no. using it as a kind of way to test. Um, writing but there's different um yeah and that, and you can obviously you do things like you make your own cover and stuff so it's like yeah it's, you know it's, it's yeah. social in that 
yeah, that way. But... Yeah, you have full creative control for a moment in time. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I also want to make sure that um, Margaret sent a beautiful message saying, you know, that uh, the writers group is so damn proud. Oh, so I just want to make sure that gets through there. And um, Alex has asked about the, like the music writing, like particularly I imagine the, the lyrics in it, which was a question that I was interested in. You know, throughout the book you have, you know, a couple of, a few different songs throughout the book that you've, I assume, written the lyrics to. Um, how, how did you do that? Because that's a whole different beast to uh, writing prose. Probably the hardest thing. Like, mm. um, I, so how did I do that? I... Um, listened to a lot of music and a lot yeah. of music with lyrics that were the sort of thing that I wanted to capture. So um, the lyrics are obviously they're part of the plot. So mm -hmm. the lyrics have to be, they can't just be, you know, like cute pop song. They have to make sense in terms of, um, you know, progressing their relationship um, between two characters or something. Mm. So I um, listened to a lot of, um, sort of narrative kind of um, songs and I then just worked really hard at it and re refined it and refined it and refined it and I you know I had I looked at things the tempo of the kind of song so one of them sounds in, like doesn't doesn't sound exactly the same as this song but the kind of um, tempo of it was um, bright eyes lover I don't have to love and so I listened yeah. to that and tried to get the cadence of like how many syllables you get in a in a line and that kind of thing and another one oh, I can't remember now I, <laughs> I no, no but I think like lyrics is yeah. such a funny thing because on the page alone they only tell a part of the story don't they yeah and you know but one. they also tell the whole story as far as like the intention of the song in a lot of ways yeah and if you pull them out they often don't make a lot of sense so some mm. you know you'll listen to a song and you'll be like oh this song is about this thing and then you listen you write down the actual lyrics and they they you don't know how you might know that song is about that mm. thing you know yeah um but that but that's obviously the the story they're telling so i think it's yeah that's a real challenge um i'm not a musician people often yeah. ask me that and i'm not um but I wish I was. Yeah. <laughs> well, you certainly write like a musician, and I think that's important. Um, I think, you know, I think a lot of people really want to know more about your kind of publishing process, like how long did it take? And I get the sense that it was it was quite a bit of time. I guess what I'm interested in is from the moment you you won the Ampersand Prize, what was that step? What was that stepping stone like? Like, how was the, the working with an editor, and how? was kind of getting your first cover design and, and those sort of really uh, really big milestones in the kind of path to publishing. Yeah, it's amazing. So um, so I got the, um, I won the prize, but I won it subject to making various changes. So the, the okay. major change that I made was that the characters in the version that I submitted to the Ampersand Prize were 18, mm -hmm. I think, or 19, and I had yeah. to manage them down to make yeah. them you know, suitable for the audience that they wanted to market it for. So that involved redrafting or well, rewriting or just writing the entire first third where they're at school because I didn't have that. Um, yeah. But I did have an earlier version where they'd been at school. So I had some, I had some early character work at that age, but I didn't really have the, the you know, the, this version. So, um, so I, re I did that. So I had to rewrite that, had a whole new draft, which then went to the editor who was incredible and made it good <laughs> thank goodness um and uh then so it's a structural edit and then there was a copy edit 
again after that. So she came back with all these structural changes to make to it, which I made, and then there was a copy edit, which is um, sort of going through line by line, and and well, it's a bit more complicated than that. But um, and then after that, there's a there's a proof reading reading. I think there were two proofs. So all in all, that's I think five. Right, like yeah. probably read it five Round, times. Yeah, yeah, and um, and that was between it was probably a year and a half, I reckon, from winning the prize to publication. So I think I won the prize at the end of twenty eighteen. But in the middle yeah. of that, I was having a baby. So oh yeah, like, cool. So not much going so on for you. It was pretty annoying. Uh, <laughs> no, it was fine. But um, the time very inconsiderate of that baby. I know. What was he thinking? Um, so he was due on the thirtieth, and I think I got my edits in on the 29th. <laughs> Like, I mean, there's nothing like a deadline <laughs> of, of both the bodily and the, the yeah, you know, writerly. Like, here's, here's my second baby. But um, yeah. the, uh, um, the, as far as seeing the cover, like, that's a wild right? Yeah. That is not the cover that I thought this book would have. And yeah. I, I kind of imagined it to just be, uh, like, I guess it, I, I felt like it was sort of grittier, you know, and it's really mm. bright, happy cover. Mm. And I, wow, this is, but it was awesome because it's an amazing yeah. cover. It's a great cover and I think it fits really within the canon of particularly like American uh, YA in that there's a lot of illustrative work now in YA covers and it and so it fits within the kind of bookshelf of, of YA, you know, yeah. really, really like, well. Fantastic. And now I see it, like I've seen it on a bookshelf and I'm like, yeah, that really stands out. Mm. It's a really striking jacket. Yeah, but it's so funny when you, they send it through and you're like, wow, huh, that's not what I thought. Like I kind of imagine like a very dark kind of cover with like stars on it. I guess I'm quite, I'm also not a visual person at all. Yeah. Like a very, like I was very literal in my head about it. But yeah. yeah. Amazing. I think we're like, we're coming up to the close and there's obviously a million other things I wanted to talk to you about. I wanted to talk about the pop queen Addie Marmoset who I adore and who has a wonderful arc through the book and I think that readers will just love kind of following along with I wanted to talk about her mother I wanted there was just look there really is a three-hour conversation about this book in, in, Maybe in I think um but I just I'm going to ask I'm going to end on a fairly silly question just because it always is something that interests me say you did have the talent what who is the one megastar across history in music that you would want to do a duet with? Oh, well, obviously it's Bowie, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... Which, I, which era Bowie? Like, which album oh, Bowie? Oh, um, look, wow, that's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, do you want to, like, get all glam glammed up, like Ziggy Stardust? Yeah, or... I mean, I was going to say Ziggy Stardust. That's my, that's the, that's my favourite album. But yeah. he, like, that's... It's not me. Do you know what I mean? I'm I feel like I'd be more likely to be daggy dancing in the street with him, Mick Jagger. Like, oh, yeah. You know, like getting the real, like, <laughs> the high-waisted pants and the... Yeah. 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 I'd like to think that our history would be kind to the duet I would do with Bowie. It's <laughs> probably more likely to be that one. I don't think anyone's been kind to dancing in the street either, to be honest. No, but that's, that was kind of more my point, that everything else has sort of aged well in that little moment in time, not, not quite as much. Yeah, um, I, I like. I think if Bowie would have me, I would. I'd take any era day for Bowie. <laughs> any day of the week. <laughs> like, it's yeah, fine, I take it. <laughs> and and if what what you mentioned that you read um, Holden's book, has any other kind of queer YA really knocked your socks off lately? Oh, you know, I haven't 
I haven't been reading as much as I mm. would like to because of the homeschooling thing, which is just... Yeah, no, that does definitely take a lot of attention. Um, but, yeah, I just read Small Spaces, which isn't really oh, clear. No, but, but that's a... That's uh, out. What a great That's book. Sarah Epstein, right? Epstein, that's right. It, yeah. not, like, it knocked me sideways and I went out and bought, like, a million copies and sent them to everyone I know in Melbourne because I'm like, you guys have time on your hands. Yeah, <laughs> really? yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's always really lovely as well. I really love receiving a book that is just a standalone novel, you know, yeah. beginning, middle, and end. And, oh, and you know, Sarah takes these kind of genre tropes and just like smacks them out of the park. It's, what it's an great. end. I mean, from the yeah. moment I read the blurb of that one, I was like, yes, I have to read this. And it's, yeah, it, yeah, it blew me away. It's fantastic. Truly creepy. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you to everyone who joined us tonight and thank you to readings and particularly the incomparable, you know, Chris, who is just a light in everyone's lives. Um, and thank you to Hardy Grant for uh, making this all possible and publishing this wonderful book. And thank you, Francis, for being so lovely tonight. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming as well. I just like it's lovely to have people come to my launch, even though it's <laughs> like a launch. But this is a launch. This is this is what it is, and it's a, it's a beauty to be a part of it. So, congratulations, Francis. So such a tremendous job. Congratulations. I raise my glass to you, and to you, darling Amelia. I can't wait to see you again. Uh, till then, stay safe. To all that came tonight on behalf of Hardy Grant, on behalf of Reading, on behalf of the Sydney Writers Festival, on behalf of Francis, you are loved. See you next time. Stay safe. Bye bye. You can stream previous episodes of The Readings Podcast on our website, where you'll also find all kinds of bookish recommendations and plenty of great books, music, film and TV. While there, you can sign up to our e-news or to receive the free monthly print newsletter, The Readings Monthly. Production and music for this podcast was provided by Tom Hoskins. All of our podcasts are recorded and produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and that sovereignty is never ceded.